Hey everyone, I am Stephanie Goss and this is another episode of the Uncharted Podcast. This week on the podcast, Annie and I are tackling an email that came to us through the mailbag from Rad Relief Vet. And I just love this so much because this is someone who is working as a relief vet and they are asking, what can I do to be better? How can I help my practices that I'm working with? And what are some things that we wish that relief vets wouldn't do? How should managers leverage and treat their relief vets? This is someone who wants people to feel relieved when they come to help out in their practice, not feel relieved when they leave because it's been so difficult. So Annie and I both have some pretty strong feelings having worked with or been relief vets in Andy's case over the years. So let's get into this one, guys. And now, the Uncharted Podcast. And we are back. It's me, Dr. Andy Rourke, and Stephanie, I can't get no relief, Goss. (laughs) Oh, that's a good one. How's it going, Andy? Oh, man. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just, I got my head down, and I'm doing it. And uh, the kids are going to school in the morning and they're yeah. getting their extracurriculars and I'm getting my work at the clinic done. And uh, <laughs> it's just, it's, um, it's I'm running, running on the treadmill yep. right now. Yep. But, um, oh man, stepping back. Let me think for a moment. I think it's pretty good. I think it's, I think it's pretty good over in the Uncharted community. Uh, we've been doing a mindfulness month, which is kind of a self-driven, you know, supportive group uh, thing about what are you doing to take care of yourself in September? And so I've I've been leaning into that, man. I've been um, I've been good about doing some meditation again. I'd kind of, you know, I, I, I like most people. I pick that practice up and I do it and I'm like, this is great. And then insert excuse here. You know, it, it gets right. a little less frequent, and then it kind of falls off. And I kind of came back around. I was like, you know what? I, I I'm always happy when I do that, and just it just takes a little bit of time, uh, and just it just takes commitment of sitting down for ten minutes and doing it a day. And yeah. Anyway, I picked that back up in the last week or so, and I go, God, I love it. I I, got, I should I should never stop doing this. And anyway, <laughs> I, I suspect I'll always kind of wax and wane in in it. But um, for those of you who who don't meditate or haven't meditated, it's, check it out, man. There's a million apps like Headspace mm-hmm. and things mm-hmm. like that that can teach you how to do it. Guided meditations. You can if you listen. You listen to podcasts because you listen to this. There are podcasts that are just guided meditations that yeah. just walk you through. Like, hey, just sit down quietly and and do this thing and just relax your muscles and just uh, let your brain kind of put it in neutral for a little bit, just ten minutes, and see what happens. And I don't know. It's uh, I. It's it's amazing. I just I'm glad I've been doing that. That's that's made a big difference for me. How about that's you? Awesome. Uh, things are good. You know the the kids have been back in school for a couple of weeks, and we're just trucking along, getting ready for the start of um, gymnastic season over here. My my oldest is a gymnast, and last year we didn't um, have a season because of COVID, and so this year they're. Uh, theoretically is going to be a, a season um, depending on how things continue to go here in Washington. So it's just, you know, doing the, doing the, the jam, spreading them, you know, activities around and trying to juggle one kid going one place at one time and the other kid having to be on the opposite side of town at the exact same time. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's the march towards the new normal. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm really optimistic, Stephanie. I know, I know, I know a lot of people are, are, are not, and I know it's, it's uh, sort of a hard time for a lot of people. I think sort of changing seasons is part of that, and kids going to school is part of that. But I, I got to tell you, um, I think that we're moving 
uh, with some directness towards what the new norm is going to be. Uh, I'm seeing, you know, extracurricular stuff is picking back up and yeah. I'm putting, I'm putting my kids in it and, you know, I'm, I'm as virus conscious as anybody, but I'm also conscious of the impact on my kids of not being involved with other kids or not having extracurriculars and things like that. And I'm like, well, the math to me, uh, and again, everybody's different and, you know, no judgment for anybody, but for me, I, I sort of like, I think it's time to, to I'm, I'm going to get my kids back doing stuff because I really feel like they missed a year of that. And now yeah. three fourths of our family is vaccinated. And, you know, and our, our youngest daughter, we, you know, the chance of her getting it from anyone else in the family, which is where most people get infected from, much lower. And, and anyway, I can sort of justify it in that way. But I feel like that's definitely adding to my sense of like normalcy. And this is this is what we're doing. We're not on pause really anymore. And I say that also as I get ready to go to Western Vet Conference in Las Vegas, which will be my first trip mm -hmm. in, in honestly, solidly a year and a half. Yep. I have not gone anywhere by plane. And, and so I'm going to go. And it's my first vet event in a year and a half in person. And so, you know, I've got a little bit of apprehension about that. But honestly, Steph, as I start to reach out to my friends who tend to go to conferences and they're like, man, I can't wait to see your face. Mm -hmm. I, I, there's joy in my heart, even though it's tempered with, you know, I want, to, I want to be cautious and be smart and to make sure that I'm taking care of myself and keeping my family safe. I just, I do feel, I do feel, I do feel excitement, uh, in a way that I haven't in a long time. And I go, man, this is, this is good. Yeah. I, I, um, we did some travel over the summer to do, kid handoff um, between grandparents and and uh, family. So everybody got their time with the kids for the summer. And, um, you know, it was interesting to me because I, when I was on the plane, I, I remember thinking to myself, I, I could get used to this whole wearing masks and feeling like it's a little less germy mm -hmm. <laughs> out there. And I know that yeah. some of it is psychological because it's just as germy as it's always been. And at the same time, it's, um, you know, it feels good to see other people thinking about how to take precautions. Like I've always been the kind of person where um, I have not been a germaphobe. I was the mom where like their pacifier fell on the ground. I picked it up, wiped yeah. it off and said, here you go. <laughs> Let's strengthen those immune systems. But, um, you know, I've always been when I travel, been the person where, I, you know, I make sure that I'm eating well when I can and taking my vitamins and, um, you know, got emergency in your bag, that kind of stuff. And I think it's nice to see other people thinking the same kind of way. And, and it, and it felt good. It felt good to, you know, get out there and see friends and family. And so I agree with you. Like I'm looking forward to, I'm certainly looking forward to getting to a place where hopefully very, very soon we can see our uncharted friends and family soon. Uh, that has, has been, um, you know, something that I've been looking forward to. So I'm excited to hear how your time in Vegas goes. And, and, you know, I think, I think we need, I think we need some of that, you know, as a, as a community, yeah. I think that there's a lot that we can do virtually and, you know, just like everybody else, we pivoted this last year and we figured out how to continue to thrive as a community in Uncharted virtually. And at the same time, there are some things that you need to do hands-on, like you yeah. need to go to a wet lab to learn how to do <laughs> to dentistry, right? Like those kind of things, you can't substitute that experience. And so that part of it as a, as a field and as an industry is something that I'm looking forward to being able to create a new normal and figure out how do we do it yeah. as safely as we possibly can. So, 
Well, it, it anyway. is going to be a new normal and it's not all or none. Right. I think people are sort of like, we're either going back to packed conferences right. or everything online. And you go, no, I, I think the answer is in the middle, right? The answer is, I think we'll do more virtual education. Mm-hmm. I think we'll have more virtual conferences and virtual meetings mm-hmm. and uh, we'll still get together, but maybe those meetings will be a bit smaller than they were. Maybe they'll be more spread out. Maybe they'll have more outdoor components. Maybe, right. maybe they'll be more sort of outdoor seating for dinners and yep. breaks. And just to kind of get people out and, and get them sort of away from each other, I think that there'll be a lot of hand sanitizer. I think that yeah. there may be masks. <laughs> requirements in uh, lecture halls. And right. you know what? None of that stuff seems horrible to me. It just, yeah. you know, I, I think that we'll we'll navigate it as we go. But um, yeah, I, I I think that I think that we're again, I don't think we throw the doors open and we're going to be it was going to be like it once was. I'll be interested to see Western. I, I don't expect it'll be the conference it's been in the past. Uh, it's a different time of year. I suspect mm-hmm. attendance is down for a lot of people, um, you know, sure. I, we made the decision to go and be there because, you know, uh, a lot of a lot of my business depends on, you know, on being there and sort of uh, catching up with people and meeting people and mm-hmm. doing lecture and things like that. That's, you know, that's kind of part of what I what I do for a living. So I felt extra pressure, I think, to sort of get there. But I don't I don't regret it. So anyway, I think it's going to be um, I think it's going to be a neat step and I'll be happy to report back on what that looks like after we do it. I'm I am excited and um you know I also think I'm excited that it's fall. Yeah. <laughs> Yesterday mm-hmm. was September the 1st when we're recording this and you know my <laughs> my kid was like it's time for fall and I'm like whoa there let's let's keep on with the last few weeks of summer but I'm excited to it it really does feel for in a, in a lot of ways like um the change in season is um I'm excited for it to be here and to kind of start over in a way and, you know, um, move forward because I think the, the last few months have been hard. And I know that our friends who, um, you know, we've been talking to life in the clinic during the summer in normal circumstances is exhausting. And this summer has been like no other because it's exhausting, normal, exhausting. And then you layer in all of the challenges um, with COVID on top of that and the return or creation of a new normal where people are starting to ask for time off again and they're traveling a little bit and there's new waters to navigate. And so I think everybody's exhausted. And I know there's been a lot of conversation about thinking ahead to going to conferences and stuff like that. How do I, how do I cover, you know, a lot of us worked short during the pandemic because we didn't want people in our clinics. And I think people are looking at how do we um, kind of go back to normal. And so we've been talking a lot about relief vets and we had a um, a letter coming through the mailbag that I thought was so great. It is uh, from a rad relief vet um, who I just uh, adore. And it said, I'd love to hear you guys take on best practices for relief vets. What can relief vets do to help your practice? And what are some of the things you wish they wouldn't do? How should managers treat and leverage the relief vets? I'm a rad relief vet and I want people to be relieved when I come, not when I leave. Um, And I just thought that this was so great because, um, you know, we have more and more vets who are looking at a work-life balance and we have more vets who have moved into a locomotive relief role because they want flexibility. um, They want work-life balance. They are done with the, you know, nine to five regular clinic grind. So we have more relief vets, I feel like, than we have ever had. And um, we have more practices desperately in need of vets because it's you can't 
find them. <laughs> They're like yeah. a unicorn at this point. And, um, you know, many clinics are working shorthanded. And so I think those two things are are great. And I just thought that this would be a fun one for us to go through. Yeah, I love it. So this is a great question. I, I love this topic. I'm glad that this topic came up. I, it's uh, I'll talk relief. That's as much as anybody wants to talk. About. I, I, I love this topic. I think it's a really interesting topic uh, for a profession for the future going forward. Mm -hmm. And he, here's here's why I think that um, I think that a lot of veterinarians want, uh, as you said, work life balance. And this is a way to get it. And I, I, th I think that there's a lot of vets, you know, who go part time or they have families at home and they want to they still want to practice. They still mm -hmm. want to kind of have their hands in, in, in there and they still want to get in the clinic. Mm -hmm. But they also like to decide how much they're in there. And maybe they're looking at their life and they're like, I don't know what I want to say. It's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and every other Thursday. You know, what right. I mean? like, I, I, maybe that's not maybe that's too much. I don't I don't know. A relief vet work, I think, is going to continue to grow because it's a great way for doctors to get in and kind of figure out what they want and what their ideal schedule is. And once you do some relief work, here's the other thing. Once you do some relief work, then you kind of know a lot about yourself. And you're mm -hmm. like, this is how much I like to work. And this is where I like to work. And this is what makes a practice that I like. And if you're smart as a relief vet, you're going and you're, you know, checking your temperature mm -hmm. as you're working at places and going, do I fit here? Do I like yeah. it here? And, yeah. and then digging deeper and sort of doing your root cause analysis and going, why do I like it here? Or why do I not like it here? And in a fairly short amount of time, you can learn a lot about yourself as a doctor. And that lets you take that to other practices. That lets mm -hmm. you take it to your next job and say, this is what I'm looking for. And you can say it with a certainty that other vets who have worked at two other practices in their career can't say it because they've only worked at two other places. Right. And you've worked at 10 other places yes. in a fairly short amount of time. And you know exactly what you're looking for and what you're not looking for. And so I, I just think um, as we know that scheduling flexibility is becoming more and more important. Um, and as we know that vets want to figure out what's best for them, maybe without making a big commitment, especially as, you know, we've talked about in other episodes, we start having non-compete clauses uh, where you can't practice in a certain area if you sign this mm -hmm. or uh, you can't um, you can't practice here for X amount of time. And it just becomes a, a, um, a big thing about leaving a practice and someone goes well I don't want to get in there and then I have to give them six months notice right before I leave and like that's a lot of pressure I think one of the easy answers to that is and this is sort of what I say to vets they're like I'm moving to an area and I don't know which which practice to go work for or things like that my advice is like hey maybe go there and do some relief work mm -hmm. and just you know if you don't need the full paycheck the first you know day that you hit the ground maybe go do some relief work maybe plan on six months of relief work work at a bunch of different practices and it's like dating go and mm -hmm. date yep. for six months you know what i mean yeah. see what works for you and what doesn't and you're going to find some places where you're like i'm excited to go to this practice and i look forward to it and they're excited to have me and we're a good fit great mm -hmm. go forth and prosper like mm -hmm. that that may be it and you see that a lot with relief vets there's a lot of relief vets who drop off the market why because they found a place that they were really happy and the place was really happy to have them and they decided that they would make it more serious than dating mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. there and there they are so i again i i think relief vets are uh i think they i think that lifestyle offers a lot and i think that you're going to see more relief vets doing doing relief work than you have in the past in the future yeah which i i think is so great so when we think about 
when we think about talking um, from the perspective of a relief vet and from a clinic looking to use a relief vet, I think where the headspace starts for me is um, the why kind of that's always where I start. But like specifically as a relief vet, why are you working as a relief vet? And for the clinics, why are you using a relief vet? Because I think if you both sides have a clear answer to that, it definitely helps make the dating <laughs> as as you use that analogy it's such a good one uh it makes the dating so much easier because you um if you are a clinic who is using relief vet because you're hoping to land a full-time vet then using relief vets who are like sure that this is what they want to do for the rest of their life because they absolutely are done being in full-time practice those two things are not in alignment <laughs> and, yeah. you know, and so there, there probably won't be a good long-term fit there. Um, and so, you know, I think, I think for me, that's where it has to start headspace wise is, is answering the question for myself, either as the clinic, as the doctor, why am I doing this? Yeah. I, so, so there's, there's, yes, I, I completely agree with that. And this sounds really simple. Start with the end in mind. And, and, and I want to twist kind of what you said a little bit and, and flesh it out a little bit. So th there's sort of two things for me. Why am I doing this? And what do I want to get out of this experience? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Those, are, those are different questions. And, and they sound really similar. Why am I doing this? And what do I want to get out of the experience? So uh, I, I, I like the dating metaphor. We'll just stay with it. So um, one of it is, you know, why, why, am, why am I dating again? Mm -hmm. And the more I kind of know about myself, the the better off I'm going to be going into this. But the other thing is, what do I want to get out of this experience? Um, if I want companionship, um, someone who can who I, I can spend a lot of time with, um, that's going to color a little bit of what I'm looking for in my date, as opposed to I just want to go have a really fun time, right? And you know, and blow right. off steam. I want somebody that I can just go, you know, uh, have a have a wild weekend with. Um, the, those are different things, and you should just know that going in, and no, no right or wrong, you know. But yeah. it's it's you sh you should know that. So so wh what does that look what does that look like in practice? I see a lot of vet clinics that bring in relief vets, and they don't know why they're doing it, or what or other than we have a vet that's going away for a week, and we need to fill that spot, uh -huh. right? We have we we, yes. we have seen this many clients. These people walk in; it'll be very hard for us if we don't have a, a relief vet. I think that's a fine reason. You know, I, I see more complex reasons where it's like, hey, we've got we want to provide more flexibility to our staff. And so we're going to be looking for um, somebody who can fill in kind of on the on the ongoing basis and just cover holes and let us, you know, get get vets out on a, on a regular basis and kind of let them have more flexibility in their schedule. And so those are just very different reasons to bring the vet in. And I just think it's good to have that stuff in your mind. The more important thing for me when you're looking at bringing a relief vet is what do you want this experience to be? I absolutely see uh, places that bring in a relief vet and they're like, we want this person to stop a, to stop a hole. Like we plug this hole, uh, keep the clients happy and be gone. And that's, that's not bad. Mm -hmm. There are other places that look a lot more and say, well, we want someone who's gonna provide a consistent experience to our clients and it's gonna be a good fit in our culture that's gonna be able to work independently as opposed to having the other vets support them, things like that. Um, and again, I, I think that, that that's maybe more of an issue if you're like, this is someone that we plan on hopefully having a long-term relationship with, having them in you know, two or three times a month 
you know, going forward and our clients may see them on the regular. This is not just, Hey, we need a body for three days and, and then we'll be done. So I don't know. I, I feel like I didn't explain that very well. Does that make sense? It, it does. I don't, um, it's, it's interesting because, um, from, from the manager perspective, I struggle with understanding why clinics just want to plug a hole when it's a short term situation. And I guess maybe that's because I am a manager that's that's very much founded in the cultural experience for the team and the client experience. And so for for me, I struggle with um, watching colleagues try and find and do all kinds of crazy things to attract a relief vet to cover the short term stuff. And the question for me is, why, why, why are we doing that? Like, right. What really you're going to do that for five days? Like, why don't you just be short of it for five days? And and so I think that's why for me, the the why from the clinic perspective is is really important. And also why it's important for the relief vets, because when I look at building a relationship with a relief vet, I definitely want I don't I'm not looking at it to plug that hole. And so my answer is vastly different than a, a manager who is just like, I literally cannot have gaps in my schedule. I need I just need to plug this hole. Yeah. And 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 to go back to your your question of, you know, why why do people choose sort of differently? In some cases, uh, a lot of it is is sort of a lack of planning. And I don't mean that in a really negative way. It's a lot of people get sort of surprised. They'll say, oh, and let's be honest about what happens. Right. The uh, we have a, a doctor that goes out sick. They got they got COVID. They're quarantined for 10, 14 days. Right. Or they're going on vacation or the practice owner has decided he's going on vacation in two weeks. Mm-hmm. And they turn to the practice manager and they're like, hey, in two weeks, we need a veterinarian to fill this <laughs> hole. And now that's and that's the why, because the practice owner, the medical director has informed me that I have three weeks to find a person with a medical license and a pulse that can see appointments. And they're like and and, and sometimes they're given a budget on top of it. Uh-huh. Find somebody to do it for two hundred dollars a day. Uh-huh. And, you know, and now you're you know, now you're calling in the prison system to see if they have any veterinarians, uh, you know, incarcerated that they could get out on work <laughs> relief because that's all you can afford at $200 a day or, you know, uh-huh. whatever it is. Yeah. And so, so honestly, I hate to be, I hate to be blunt. That's how a lot of this happens. And of course it, sometimes it's fine. Sometimes you say, I desperately need somebody and there's a relief vet and they happen to have a hole in their schedule and they go, fine, I'll come, I'll come, I'll see appointments. And then that will be that and we'll be done. And if that works out, that that's great. The truth of it is Usually, if you have really good relief, if you're going to get a good relief vet, they're like a good hairstylist. Yep. They've got their people who yep. keep them busy, you yep. know what I mean? And who who want them and call them first. Yeah. And so you're probably not going to be like, hey, in two weeks, I need a week of your time. It, you might get really lucky and you get someone who's new or just starting to do some relief work or they had an opening in their schedule they didn't plan but mm-hmm. i think a lot of your a lot of your tried and true relief vets 
Mm-hmm. They're, they're booked farther out than that. And they've got clinics that they like to work with. And that's not a slam on your clinic. It's just, I mean, I, so I do, I do sort of quasi relief work. I did relief work for a number of practices and then it sort of got narrower and narrower. And the number that mm-hmm. I, that I kind of worked with for no other reason than I like those practices. Mm-hmm. And if I'm going to be in the clinic, I want to be in the clinic in a place that I enjoy. And mm-hmm. ultimately, you know, you come down to just a, a small couple and you say, well, these are the ones I work with. And you know, I got a, I got a, uh, I, a question literally yesterday about, hey, would you be open to coming and doing this? And I don't know this practice and they sounded wonderful, but the answer is no. Uh, because, mm-hmm. you know, j- just because I kind of got my people. And so mm-hmm. it does take some time and it does take some warm up. And honestly, the vets that are good, like they're they're not interested in going into a place where they're going to have a bad time or they're going to have ex- a bad experience, especially if they've got good practices they like mm-hmm. already lined up. And so that really brings us to the crux of making all of this work that we'll get into in a little bit, but it's, you got to start early, mm-hmm. you know, you've got to start early and you got to start small. And I go back to the dating metaphor. It's not like, Hey, you want to go on a seven day date with me? A guy you never met, uh, before mm-hmm. come, come you can ride in my van. Yeah. Right? Like that's not, that's not <laughs> anything that anyone wants to be a part of. It's, it's going <laughs> i have and i and i have i have made that mistake from the clinic perspective of of saying let's go on the seven day vacation and <laughs> then by it. by the end of day one you're like oh my god this is a horrible mistake and now i have to survive six more days of this yeah like, <laughs> oh yeah it's like you didn't take your own car on this date mm-hmm. you, you you elected to ride together yes and now and yeah. now you're in this. Yep, been That's there, the done mistake that. that you made. <laughs> yeah. So that happens. So, so well, uh, so from a headspace standpoint, what what do you want? Okay. So seriously, from a headspace standpoint, what do you want to get out of this? Yeah. Is this like just fill this hole for you know that, that's crazy that that we never have that's you know probably not going to need this person again. Um, I, I have two weeks and I got to find somebody. That's a bit different experience than hey, we know in four months, we're going to have a doctor out on maternity leave. And we would really like to have some coverage for a a couple of months Mm -hmm. to help do this. And whether that's one relief vet or a couple relief vets or, you know, a couple relief vets that just come on Mondays and Fridays when we're busiest, you know, there's a million different solutions. I think I think to your earlier point, a lot of people just do some really simple math and they're like, I am losing one veterinarian. I must replace that with one veterinarian. And the truth is there's a lot of other levers that we can pull as far as, you know, maybe we're going to book, uh, we're gonna, maybe we're just going to decrease our appointment load and just say mm-hmm. we're booking farther out because we're, you know, we're down a doctor and that's just what, what it's going to be. None of those things are wrong. And there's, there's a good mixture of them. Maybe it's, we're not going to, we're going to be down a doctor on Wednesdays, which is our slowest day. And then we're going to get support on especially Mondays and Fridays and, you know, blah, 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 right. what, whatever it is. Or we're going to get support uh, on that doctor's late shift so that other people don't have to stay late. It's very important to us. We have a relief vet on Tuesdays that will stay until 8 p.m. or whatever your right. thing is. Right. Yeah. I want to put a pin in that thought because that goes for me to some of how I approach it as a as a manager, because some of that is um, you hit on the maths question that you have to ask yourself and you you have to crunch the numbers because from a from a business standpoint, if I'm just plugging a hole, but I'm losing money like that is a dumb choice. (laughs) And that may sound really harsh and and mean, but like that's part of it, it for me is is looking at the math and saying, is this actually going to solve a problem or is it going to create more problems than it solves? 
right? But not always. So this is, let me, let me push back here a little bit. It, it, on first blush, you say, if I'm going to lose money having this vet, um, com, you know, compared to uh, my regular, vet, I, I'm not going to do it. And I think that that makes, that does make initial sense. I still think it's really important that you say, what am I trying to do here? Mm -hmm. Because if you are committed to, say, say you're an emergency clinic, for example, oh, yeah. and you don't mm -hmm. have much control of your caseload, sure. you might lose money. But if it stops your staff from burning out, you know, oh, yeah. um, and, and there's there's an emotional toll to being shorthanded, um, I'll take a loss on this one doctor because I have four other doctors all working. You know what I mean? And I'll say, this is short-term uh, loss for long-term gain because of other benefits I get out, meaning my staff is not overwhelmed. My clients are still getting the level of care and availability they expect. I, there, there's reasons like that where sometimes you might even go into the, this doesn't make a lot of financial sense. You'll even dip into that because it does make sense from a uh, work-life balance, capacity, client experience standpoint. But you really have to look at those things and that's why I say you really have to think about why you're doing this, because if you're not um, getting work life benefits, if you're not getting the emotional benefits of, of people being supported, then what are you doing? Mm -hmm. Because I have seen practices that will have some thoughts like that and they'll bring in a, a relief vet and they don't really prep the relief, relief vet or they get the wrong relief vet or there's just not a good match there. And now you're not making money on the deal and you're actually causing more stress yes. because the staff is cleaning up after the relief vet. And now you've really gone and stepped in it. And this was a headache that we wish we did not have to endure. Well, and I think that I think that that's um, that experience probably is some of why our rad relief vet is asking this question like that sense of I want people to be relieved when I come not when I leave I think for a lot of clinics unfortunately I know I have experienced this very painfully I am very glad when you are leaving because this now there's a bigger mess for me to clean up whether it's clients who are upset or um you know dropped balls between continuity of care and um you know the the doctors picking up so I think our rad relief vet is um, from a headspace perspective, doing all of the right things. And I love where they're coming from. And part of the headspace for me is it is like dating or it's like interviewing. Even though you're providing temporary services, you should be asking the questions that Rad Relief Vet is asking of the clinics and the clinics should be able to answer the questions what do you what you know what can I do to help your practice? What are some things you don't want me to do? How do you want me to be leveraged? You know, what do you expect? The kind of questions that they are asking are all of the kind of questions that everybody should be hashing out with their relief at. Because otherwise, if you don't have clear expectations, you open up the doors to create those messes unintentionally. Let's pause here and then we'll come back and we'll get into how to set this thing up so it works. Sounds good. Hey guys. It's Stephanie, and I just have to break in here for one second to make sure that you know about an upcoming workshop that if you are focused on the team, if you are focused on customer service and good cultural foundation for your practice, you are not going to want to miss. And that is a workshop that our dear friend, Dr. Marianne Vandalindi is going to be putting on for Uncharted. It is on Wednesday, September 22nd. It's an evening workshop from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern time. And uh, Dr. Vandalindi is going to be doing a workshop called Team Power 
hour adding value to your visits. And she is going to explore the idea that veterinary medicine is very much a team sport. And then our team adds exponential value to our exam rooms and to our care visits. She's got some case studies to look at a clinic in crisis and learn how to build a core foundation for your team that is built on core values that are then going to lead and link to key behaviors and traits that you can promote and grow in your team. So if this sounds like something you would love to get in on, head on over to the website at unchartedvet.com forward slash upcoming dash events. And you can find the registration information for Dr. Vanda Lindy's workshop, as well as all of the upcoming events for Uncharted. Now back to our regularly scheduled broadcast. All right. So let's jump back in and talk about setting this uh, this up for success from the beginning. I love okay. Rad Relief Vet's question of, you know, what do I bring that makes people happy to see me coming in and sad mm-hmm. to see me leave? Uh, the, the first thing for me, for the management team, if you're getting ready to have a relief vet, start early. Mm-hmm. Um, start early. This is, you want to have uh, a relief vet relationship before you need it. Uh, that that's just what I think. Every practice should have a couple of relief vets. That not not that they know their name, not that they have their phone number on you know a Microsoft Word document saved on the computer. But you're like, if I call this person, I think that they'll answer. I know that they'll answer, and, and I think that they will try to help me out because we had that relationship. If you're cold calling a relief vet and like, hey, I need help. Um, they're going to have the priorities of the other hospitals that they regularly serve, probably over you. You're the new person. Um, And and so just you want to try to have that established relationship, especially uh, if you're going to call and say, I need five days of coverage. Um, I just think honestly getting a relief fed in for one day just to try them out, just to see what they're like and to see how they fit with your staff. Like that's a good investment. Yep. Because if you get them in and you're like, they're perfect, they're great, this is who we're calling next time, then you send them a thank you note after it's over yep. and you just got, you say, hey, we loved working with you. We'd like to keep you at the top of our list of people that we call when we need somebody and just fluff their pillows a little bit. It, it makes people feel good, but you're, you're, you're building the bridge so you can walk on it later on. And too often I see people who are scrambling, trying to get a relief vet and they don't they don't have any established relationship. And now you desperately want to go on a week long date and you haven't even had a first date yet. Yeah, I I would actually um, push on that and tell you to one up. One of the best keys to success for me as a manager has been um, being even more proactive. I, I think you should have somebody whose name is in your email and who you know is going to read it when you send the email or send a text saying, hey, I've got a a situation. Is there any way you can help us out? And so for me, it has always been about proactively planning. I agree 100% with you that it is well worth the investment and and plan far ahead. My regular relief vets are, are booking four to six months in advance. And for longer than a week stints, they book in six to 12 months in advance. Like they're they're looking at vacations far out. And so one of the things that I do is take that money and make the investment and say, hey, who wants to take a long weekend sometime in the next two months? And ask my doctors for taking some time for themselves just a day here and there before they actually need it and get get relief vets in and and de- and date, test the waters, have somebody come work a shift, see whether they fit for you and your team. Being very intentional about it, I think is super, super smart and, and planning far ahead. I agree 100% with that. Yeah, mental health day 
to be like, who who wants a mental health day? <laughs> you know, what I mean? and and it can be a random Tuesday. Uh, but it but this is what we got. Yep, I've never asked that <laughs> and not had somebody take me up on it, right? Because who doesn't want a random Tuesday off? Or oh, hey, I could I could use that time to you know take my kids back to school shopping or whatever. Like, there's always a reason for somebody to want to take a day off, and you don't know until you ask. And so I yeah. think um, that has been that has been super helpful for me because that's how I cultivate the list. And it's not about having one person because inevitably one person's schedule gets lock jammed. It's about having, you know, a short list of three or four names so that when someone gets the flu or gets COVID and has to be out for two weeks that I have more than one name to call. And I don't feel like, well, I called my one name and now I'm SOL because I don't have any coverage. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that. So, so that's number one for me is start early. Number two for me is um, this is where we differ a little bit from dating. So this is where the dating metaphor for me breaks down a little bit, unless you're a specific kind of dater. Um, you should be <laughs> real upfront about what you want mm-hmm. and what you do and what you don't do. And maybe yes. that's where dating should go. I don't yes. know. But um, <laughs> but, but at least here, this is, this is where I go. This is not dating. This is professional, which means this is what we're looking for. What services do you provide? Do you do surgery? Do you not yep. do surgery? Do you do dentistry? Do you not do dentistry? Uh, do you do emergency work? Um, you know, what are what are your interests? What are you comfortable with? What are you not comfortable with? Mm-hmm. And and ask those questions to the relief vets. I'll tell you, um, there's a lot of relief vets that don't do surgery. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. You know, they're like, nope, I'll see your appointments for you. I'm not, I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not coming in to do surgery. And yep. I'll tell you, that makes a ton of sense to me because I personally don't want to do surgery with people I don't know right. and technicians I've never worked with right. in a surgery suite that I've never seen on pets that I haven't examined myself before and that I'm not going to be there to help recover. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not unreasonable. Yep. Uh, and it's also not unreasonable for other vets to go, I'm a very comfortable surgeon. And if you set it up and I'm going to trust that you do a good job and I've worked with you before, I will totally do a, a surgery morning if that's what you have for me. Yeah. It's not right or wrong. It's just about clear communication. Um, I don't, if you're expecting a, a vet that can come in and be there for a week and they're going to do surgery cases and things, you need to make sure that the relief vet you're talking to is comfortable with that and they want to do it. Yes. And uh, if they don't, then you have a couple options, right? You can choose a different relief vet or you can figure out how to make it so that they're seeing appointments and other people are doing surgery. Yes. Or maybe you're just not doing enough, a bunch of surgery this week. Yep. And that's not the end of the world. But clear expectations going in. It's amazing how often I see things that feels a lot like dating where there's kind of this, like, I don't want to ask straight out, you know, what, you know, will you do this or do, are you okay with that? Like, I'm just going to kind of see when we get there. Um, this is a professional relationship. And so just ask, be mm-hmm. upfront, tell them what you need, tell them what you're looking for, ask what they, what services they provide and make sure it's a good fit. So that to me is clear communication just going in. Yeah, I think that the the relief vet definitely should have some questions for the practice of like, is, you know, what are your expectations? But also, are these things you do right? Like you should do your homework. And on the flip side, the practice, absolutely. Like both sides should treat this like an interview, because even though it's not a permanent long term position in the moment, it shouldn't be any less clear than interviewing somebody and knowing 
what are they looking for? Like, you know, am I trying to find someone specifically to cover surgery for me? And everybody I'm talking to is not doing surgery. Like that's something that I would want to know. So having, having a list of questions for yourself of like, um, what, what do you want me to do? What is the expectation for follow-up with lab work? Um, you know, questions about how do you fit into their day-to-day? Both sides should be asking those questions. Yeah. Yeah. If you're, if you're a relief vet listening, you should be thinking about this. And I will tell you that you as a relief vet uh, have been to a lot more practices than a practice manager has talked to relief vets in a productive way. Meaning you, you have a better idea of what questions they should ask than they do. And so uh, one of the things that I like to say is here are some things that I always ask before I come just to make sure we're getting on the same page. And then I will lay down things that are important to me about surgery schedules, about dentistry, about pain control, about anesthesia and how that works, about diagnostics and where they get done and how they get done, just just so I know, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that, yeah, you can make this better. Uh, a mark of a good relief vet is having a good onboarding process and making yes. themselves easy to do business with. And so that's if you want to, so rad, vet, rad relief vet wants to be a rad relief vet. Have 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 your onboarding questions. Have yeah. have material about yourself. Be upfront about this is what I do. This is what I don't do. This is what you expect. Um, things like that. But that that sort of interview question, uh, just right up front. I think that that's really really important. Yeah, I mean, I'll give you a really easy example. Like I, I can't tell you how many times I have experienced this or watched it happen in my friends' practices where we've you know someone has had a relief vet come in and the clinic um, either has um, a high uh, volume, uh, is a high volume setup where they're seeing 15 minute appointments and they have a relief vet come in who is used to doing 30 or 40 minute appointments and is just drowning half hour into the start of the day. Or on the flip side, you have a high, um, a low volume, high touch practice where you're doing, you know, more concierge medicine, you're doing 40 Uh, you know, 40 to 60 minute appointments and they're really detailed and there's a lot of client um, interaction and you have a relief vet who is used to doing, you know, 15 minute high volume appointments. They get in, treat the the exact problem that they're there for and move on. Those two things are are very much in a misalignment on both sides. And it's not anyone's fault, but that's the kind of stuff that thinking ahead and asking questions can help you avoid because boy, is it painful to sort Mm -hmm. that out on, on all sides, um, to feel like somebody is not the right fit. And especially when you, when you jump in and you agree to go on that seven day cruise and not take your car, like that, that's, that's painful. (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And that sets us up beautifully for the third thing for me, which is, uh, you should be yourself. Mm-hmm. And ag- again, I think a lot of people have this desire to be uh, to be perfect for the relief vet, or we really, you know, we 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 want this to be great. And so we're going to put on our best face when we talk to the relief vet and kind of tell them what we think they sort of want to hear. Right. And I say that's that's being nice and not being kind. Yes. Uh, so forget being nice. Be kind. Be honest yeah. about what they're getting into and how your practice works. 
because I will tell you, you want to talk about a stressed out team, bring in a relief vet that has a different style and standard of care than, yes. than what your practice is and what they do. And you will see some pain yes. because either the vet will make the techs feel like they don't know what they're doing or the techs will feel the vet make the vet feel like you know, their standard of care is not going to be honored. Or just, there's a million ways it's going to go down depending on the, mm -hmm. the personalities that are involved. Yeah. But this should be, this should be, there should be compatibility. And and one of the other reasons I say, and that's another reason I say start early. And I say this to the relief vets again, there's nothing wrong with you if you don't fit with a practice. Mm -hmm. And to the practice, if you bring a relief vet in and they just don't fit with your culture and who you are, that's not, it doesn't make you bad or right. you wrong or them bad or wrong. It's just not a good fit. Right. And so it's a lot of the stuff we talk about with hiring. But like I thought your example was beautiful. Uh, you bring a high touch doctor in who has never had shorter than 30 minute appointments and you give them four appointments, five appointments an hour. And you're going to watch them probably come apart, mm -hmm. um, you know, and 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 they'll yes. probably suck it up for a day. Yes. Uh, but but very soon this is just not this is just not who they are it's just not yeah. how they practice and again not not bad or anything i think i think vet practices that do 15 minute appointments and uh provide affordable care i think they're wonderful and mm -hmm. i think they're important i think they're vital the fact that that's not a great place for a doctor who uh, who has core values of providing the highest standards of medical care uh, the, the fact that those things don't match up that that's not bad mm -hmm. it's just true and yeah. we should all just accept it as fast as possible and, and go on mm -hmm. with our lives or figure out a way to work together in the short term that everybody's okay with. But it's amazing how often no one has those conversations. Well, and so I'm glad you said that because compromise when you're working with relief vet compromise um, is, is important and flexibility is important. And so two of the questions that as a manager, I always ask is, um, you know, how, what is the normal time frame for you for appointments? How long are you used to having? Um, and I also ask them to tell me about how they work with and leverage their technical team. Are they used to only working with licensed technicians? Probably not as a relief vet. They're probably in plenty of practices that might not have any licensed technicians. But I want to know, like, how are they working with their team? Are they, you know, seeing the uh, seeing the appointment coming up with a plan and handing it off to somebody? Or are they the kind of vet who who is high touch and wants to manage all aspects of the case until it's finished and then move on to the next? Like those are questions that directly relate to your hospital and your workflow and the ability for a vet to be to be successful in your practice. And asking about the team is a really important one because they're the ones who are going to be working together with the relief vet and they can make or break it, the relationship between those two in, in the short term. And so I I definitely think asking those kind of questions is well worth um, the time to think about, is this the right fit? And if somebody tells me, well, I'm used to seeing, you know, 30 minute appointments and I run on a 15 minute appointment model, I might be willing to change my model in the short term mm -hmm. To, to be most successful, if I know I have to cover a two-week em emergency, right, and I have a vet who's not a perfect fit, there can be compromise. And I can say yep. to them, okay, how about uh, tell my team, like call a meeting, say, hey, guys, for the two weeks that we have Dr. Rourke here, we're going to book 30-minute appointments, all of them. And mm -hmm. the our normal doctors who are here, um, you know, we're going to book them like, like usual. But for Dr. Rourke's schedule, we're going to book 30-minute appointments. It might make some changes to your schedule have to happen. But the reality is if you compromise, you have such a better 
potential for setting both sides up for success than trying to force a round peg into a a, a, a square peg into a round hole. I always say that yeah. one backwards. Well, <laughs> but there, and I agree, there are things that you can easily compromise on. And there's other things that you probably shouldn't compromise right. on, right? So, so some of the most important ones that are easy to fix is, um, are you used to working in exam rooms with an assistant or yes. a technician, or are you comfortable working by yourself? Love and there's it. some practices where the doctor goes in alone and that's what they do and that's how they do it. Yep. Um, I think that that's a valuable question to ask and I can, yep. I'll talk about why in a second. And there's a, there's a sort of a, a interesting sort of discussion there, but um, I think, are you comfortable work, working in the exam room by yourself versus are you comfortable working with a technician or assistant? I think it's an important question and that's an easy flex to make. Also the same thing with the scheduling. Um, if this person says, I usually do 20 or 30 minute appointments, not 15, maybe we can back down from 15 to 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. and, and, and also, and you know, just say to the staff, we're gonna start like this and we're gonna see how it goes. Mm -hmm. And if they get in and they're comfortable and things are rocking and rolling and our mm -hmm. system is very efficient and that's you know making this easy for them, then we'll go back to our usual, but right. at least we're gonna start off this way and we'll speed up rather than throwing them into the deep end right. and promising that we'll slow down if you drown the first three days. Right. You know, <laughs> yes, uh, so, I love it. so those are easy things to make. Things that are less easy to make are, is the way you practice medicine. You know yeah. what I mean? The the quality of care. If this person is like, these are not the anesthesia drugs that I'm used to using and I'm not comfortable with them and I need to have these other drugs. Yep. Uh, that's a decision that you can make. The fact that I believe that vet medicine is a team game and your team needs to be trained on what you use and how you use it, that would cause me to push back pretty hard on that. And so to the rad relief vet, one of the things that I say to relief vets that I think is probably about the most important skill a relief vet can have is flexibility. I, I work at practices that are not how I would run in practice, but it's not my practice, mm -hmm. you know? And there's a line for me, it's an ethical line where I say, I am ethically, I am not okay with what's going on here. I'm not, yeah. I'm not working there, I'm, I'm yeah. out. But short of an ethical line and just saying, that's not how I would do it, but this is an acceptable standard of care. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to try to follow suit rather than say, let me show you guys a better way. That's not my job. That's not what I'm there for. Right. I'm there to fill in and work in the system that they have. I'm, I'm not there as a consultant. I'm mm -hmm. there as a doctor who should fit as seamlessly into their system as I possibly can. So the jump back, there's sort of two schools of, of thought on technicians and assistants, I think. I've been thinking a lot about this recently, right? So the idea is, I think in old school times, the doctor was the technician with additional training on top. Mm -hmm. And I feel like for, especially for younger doctors, I think where our profession is going is veterinary nurses are different than veterinarians doctors. You know, they, they do different things. They have different roles. They have different skills. Um, and they are not, one is not subservient to the other. They just do different things. And so I think if you have the assumption that a veterinarian will come in and be comfortable doing everything by themselves, uh, because they're, they have that training, I think more and more you may be disappointed when mm -hmm. you have veterinarians who go, I was trained to be a doctor. I was not trained to be a veterinary technician. You know, if you want me doing blood draws and things in front of the, uh, in front of the clients and setting up uh, diagnostics and things like that, that's just not things that I commonly do because that's not right. really my job. Um, and so that, that's why I say having those just questions about how are you used to working with technicians or associate or assistants? I think that that's important. I think it's going to be more important as we go forward.
Yeah, I think that's a that's a great point. There's um, and it's good too, right, for our teams, especially those of us who um, do practice where the technical team is really highly leveraged, or or where the doctors do a lot of the technical work. Like, n- neither is wrong. You just have to be clear about what you are, you know, because otherwise you're going to be probably disappointed. <laughs> by mm-hmm. by what happens if if you're if you're not and i w- what i was going to say was i love um the relationships that i have had with relief vets where they have come in and asked questions like you know well what what drugs do you have but even better i love when they ask well what is your normal protocol for this and they ask mm-hmm. the team and then they're like yeah i can work with that drug that's fine or they say, mm, I'd really rather use this. Do you have it? You know, and so I'm not saying that they can't practice the kind of medicine that they want, but I love when they, when or, when we have worked with relief vets and they have involved the team in it because it helps build that relationship so much faster. So for rad relief vet, knowing what you're comfortable with is super, super important and knowing where your boundaries are. If there are certain things that you want or don't want, like you have to be clear about that. And same for the practice. If you are, you know, absolutely. I mean, fear free is a great example. If you are, if you are hardcore on the fear free and your doctors get down on the floor for every exam and, um, you know, you don't, you don't have the, um, metal tables and things like that. If you don't have some of that dialogue with a doctor and find out what they are used to doing or willing to compromise on, you might find yourself really disappointed. Yeah. I, I I think so so let's talk about some wording because I think some wording is important. As a relief vet, one of my big things is if I'm gonna do something differently than the practice norm. So say it's a pain medicine or mm-hmm. say it's euthanasia. We're we're gonna do a euthanasia and they use drugs that I don't or right. cocktails that I don't know. Uh and I go, oh, I don't know what I I don't wanna do this the first time and mm-hmm. this, you know. Um if I have my own thing, I'll say, hey, do you have this? And if they say yes, I'll, I will try to make a point to stress to the staff. This is this is not necessarily a better way. It's the way that I am comfortable with and that I have done many times. And so I just want to do this be, just because I've, I, I'm very comfortable with this. Sure. And I just try to make that point to the staff because I don't want the staff to interpret it as he doesn't like what we do or what we do is not. He thinks he's better than what we do, or he uh, doesn't know how to do what we do. It's like, look, yeah. there's a million ways to do this and do it great. I'm, I'd like to do it the way that I'm comfortable with, just because I haven't done this the way that you guys do it before. And I, I find that's being a little bit vulnerable, but I find that people respond really, really well to it. So mm-hmm. that that's um, that's the big one, sort of uh, coming in. And the last one is for the practice, bringing the vet in. There's nothing wrong with having orientation. There's nothing wrong with saying, hey, you know, so we'll see you eight o'clock and we're going to do sort of do a run through. Uh, we'll give you a quick tour. We're going to uh, show you kind of some of our protocols and how we kind of run appointments here just so you kind of know what's going on and kind of how we how we work. I I would love that as a relief vet. And so if mm-hmm. you're fear free, run me through what that means to you and I'm going to get on board and I'll be happy about it. But I just I need if you've got a uh, a towel warmer under the sink, I don't know that it's there unless right. you show it to me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I th- I think the the last point for me follows up on that and that is what can a manager do to to kind of manage or leverage the relief vets. One of the things that I think a lot of times gets forgotten because we're so focused on, 
getting someone in to fill the hole is that a lot of times we don't plan for the after, which is just as important. So having a conversation and asking, do you want to follow up on your cases? Like, you know, if you are you going to be invested in this case and you want to talk to the owner? Are you fine with our doctors following up if you're not here the next day? Um, And if your doctors are going to follow up, they need to know that and know what the plan is. Is it getting put on a work list? Are you printing things like down to that level of detail so that things don't fall through the cracks? Because so often what I have seen is a relief vet comes in and you fill the need during the day and no one thinks about the client calls that need to be made and the lab work that needs to be followed up on and the transfer of cases to whoever's on um, as the as the doctor the following day. Those things do matter just as much. And so I think um, for Rad Relief Vet and anybody else, that would be a question I would ask is how, you know, how do you either this is how I like to follow up on my cases and just state it and ask the clinic how they feel or Um, for the managers out there, like know that that's a part of the process. It's not just about getting them on the schedule and having them there for that one day. If that's your plan, then you need a plan for who's going to follow up when they walk out the door. Because I think that's that's part of it is that feeling of like, oh, God, now what? They're not here. (laughs) Now what do I do? That's the number one point of awkwardness that I see with relief care. It is really. And again, it doesn't have to be awkward, but people just don't have the conversation and they don't want to say, okay. What what happens tomorrow, and and you know I and there's there's different ways to look at it, and they're not right or wrong. Um, I know relief vets who are like, I told you this is what I charge for the day. I meant for the day, like right. that's what I meant, which means right. when the blood work comes back, someone else should pick it up and interpret it and do client communication because that is work that is not happening in the day yeah. that I was contracted for and that I was there for. That's not wrong. Um, it's also not wrong to say we hired you for the day and you did this work during the day and it was our expectation that you will tie up all the loose ends of the work that you did when you were here as part of our agreement. Again, not wrong. Right. Uh, but those are mutually exclusive positions. Yes. And you just need to talk about it. And that yes. means biting the bullet and having the open conversation before they show up and just say, what is the protocol? What is your expectation for following with clients? Um, and what do you expect for us to do following mm-hmm. up with clients? And mm-hmm. can we call you with questions if yes. we don't know what we're looking at? Are you open to that? Yes. Uh, if you're a good relief vet, then you, of course you're going to serve your customer who is the client, the, the uh, clinic yeah. that brought you in. They're your customer. Yeah. And so you, you're seeing their clients, but they are your client. And yes. so of course you're going to take care of them. Uh, at the same time, um, everybody should have a should just have a plan of, of what's going to happen. And you should sort of communicate to the other doctors and have an idea of like, this is this is what's going to happen. This is where the calls get made. So I have just seen a, a lot of awkwardness there. Mm-hmm. And it's just because no one has said what happens after you leave. And it's never more awkward for me than like um, three or four days later when the client calls and they have questions because something's not working. And then I go to look at the chart and see, well, what, you know, what did Dr. Rourke tell them? And the chart's not written up and oh, I, man. and there, cause there was no plan for follow-up and making sure that all the T's were crossed and the I's were dotted. And then I have to try and track Dr. Work down. And if you don't call me back, then I'm stuck 
trying to either make it up or wing it. Like I have no idea what they were told. And so that's part of it for me is, is the accountability and the follow through plan on both sides. What is the vet going to do to your point? And it's okay. Neither side is wrong, but like having that conversation is critically important. And also for the clinic, you should probably have a plan to track what patients are seen so that you make sure that there is follow-up that, that meets your acceptable standard of care because nothing feels more awkward than having to be the manager on the phone and have that conversation with the client and say, I'm not exactly sure what happened, but <laughs> let's figure out how we're going to move forward, right? Like, because there's nothing written. So having a plan for making sure that things are done that they're done the way that you need them to be done on a basic level and that you know whether you can call that vet or you're not going to get a hold of them because they've moved on to another job or or whatever. Like knowing that up front is super helpful. Yeah, that is, that is, and I'll leave it at this, but that is the greatest sin of a relief vet is not writing up the uh, chart, knowing that another <laughs> doctor is, go is going to be someone else's yeah. case Yeah. When when you're done. And they are going to possibly, even a wellness exam, like someone else is going to look at it and they are not going to be able to turn and ask you what you said or what you saw. And that person is not coming back to you, which means your medical records, they better be written for the next doctor. And like, yeah. this is just a soapbox I can get on. It's not about anything other than writing it so that it can be understood what you did, yep. what you said, and what the plan was. Yep. And um, I see I see people fall off of this in two ways. Number one, I see a relief vet will come in, just do the work, scratch down a couple of notes as if they work there and these vets are going to come back to them. Right. And I'm like, that's not acceptable. The other thing that I see, and this is a personal pet peeve of mine uh, that a lot of people probably uh, hate me for saying this, <laughs> but don't write, don't write a book. And, and again, I, I just have strong feelings that most vets screw up medical records, not by not writing enough, uh, although that's a camp, but by writing seven pages right. about the corneal ulcer that you saw. And I'm like, I don't care. And I don't want to read all of it. Just tell me what you did. Tell me what the plan is. Tell me what you told them. Yeah. And 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 that's and give it to me in, in in a format that I can take in quickly, understand and move forward with the plan. And so anyway, that's that's a little of my personal uh, bias there. Yeah. But, um, but I really do believe that that's critically important. I love that. And one of my favorite relief vets um, taught me this trick. And so this is for our rad relief vet. The picture speaks a thousand words. And I worked with a relief vet who would ask, um, do you, do you guys like we at the time, God help me, we had paper charts. And so she was like, do you, do you have a camera? Like, can I take some pictures of stuff and put it like paste it into their chart? And I was like, oh my God, nobody's ever asked that, but that's brilliant because then you can see the wound, like the doctor who picks it up the following day or can see what the, the eye looked like. Um, and so especially if you have digital charts, there's cameras everywhere. There's no reason to not um, add that to your toolbox on both sides and then give your support, your doctors who are going to have to pick it up the next day, some, some help so that they have a good idea so that you don't have to write the seven pages to try and describe what the wounds look like. Take a picture. Yeah, and that's and actually you touched on one other thing that we I can't believe we haven't mentioned, but we haven't uh, in this modern world where a lot of vet practices are using more and more technology. Uh, you either need to confirm that your relief vet knows how to use your yes. PIM software oh, gosh, or yes. whatever other software you want them to use. Uh, you either need to confirm that they do know how to use it or you need to have a support system 
to get them in there so they can so they can function and that may just be pulling their technician aside and saying hey when you come out of the room he uh does not know how to use uh avamark and uh, i'm going to need you to set him up to fill in his records and just make sure that they get done because he's not going to be able to jump in there himself and do it um unless we give him a tutorial you know something like that good point um, but yeah, the, that's just a growing thing of bringing a new vet who does not know your software, especially if you're a paperless practice. Yeah. Um, that is one thing that you're going to want to sort out. And I will tell you guys, and that's another thing for a rad relief vet. It's a weird skill, but familiarity yes. with multiple uh, yeah. PIM softwares is actually really valuable. You don't have to be an ace. You don't have to be making new forms, but Mm-mm. knowing how to open up a medical record, yep. how, to, how to navigate the schedule, open a medical record, type your record in and save it and print it if needed. Like th- that, just that basic level of understanding is just nice. And it means a lot to practices that you can come in and work in their system and it's not going to be a train wreck. Oh man. Well, I think this was a good one. I can't believe neither of us uh, remember to talk about the PIMS because that's such a that's such a big one. But it's so true. And all and all of the technologies like your team can take on a lot of it. But the but the basics of like, how do we look stuff up? How are we billing clients out asking them if they're used to working with paperless records? Are they used to working in paper charts? Like those are those are all part of the interview questions. And I think for me, that's why I said there's got to be some interviewing on both sides to know, like, is this is this a fit? Because I can't I can't run a paperless practice and take a relief vet who's used to using paper charts without them being willing to let the team do a lot of the work, right? Because otherwise our system falls apart. And so that it's not wrong. It's not bad. It just probably isn't the right fit. Yep. I completely agree. Cool. Well, thanks for talking through this with me. Absolutely. This is a good one. I hope uh, I hope our rad relief vet keeps on seeing practices because man, relief vets are so so needed and so appreciated. I love I love working with them. Thanks, everybody. Guys, have a wonderful week. We'll see you later. Take care, everybody. Well, everybody, that's a wrap on another episode of the podcast. Thanks so much for spending your time with us. We truly enjoy spending part of our week with you. As always, Andy and I enjoyed getting into this topic. Um, I have a tiny little favorite ask, actually two of them. One is if you can go to wherever you source your podcasts from and hit the review button and leave us a review. We love hearing your feedback and knowing what you think of the podcast. And number two, if you haven't already hit the subscribe button. Thanks so much for listening, guys. We'll see you soon.